Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. All right, good morning. Yep, all right. That's cool. Leave me hanging. Thank you, Seth, team. Um, What a a just beautiful time of praise, a song, Um, good reminders. I mean, just what a joy it is to just be able to come together, sing praises, to confess corporately, be reminded together of our great need for a great Savior. And uh, when we sing together, when we pray together, when we confess together, uh, the Spirit works and unites and forges us together. And the body of Christ is a family. The more that we do things together as a family, the more that we become what God created us to be, that is his family, his chosen people. If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, my name is Tyler Cash. I know there's a lot of new faces here today. Um, I have the privilege to uh, serve as one of the pastors uh, within this body of believers uh, who gather under the name Christ Covenant Fellowship. Um, Welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, Glad to have you here. If you Want more information, as Pastor Gabe said, uh, send an uh, email to info at ccfva.org. That's the best way you get on the newsletter. Uh, That's our uh, first kind of thread of communication. Uh, If you have questions that need to be answered today, ask a member, ask me, ask someone, and uh, we would love to uh, just get you connected, uh, get to share a little bit more about what the Lord is doing uh, within the life of our church body. Uh, We've been studying uh, the book of Amos in the Old Testament. That's one of the minor prophets, uh, minor in length, not minor by its contribution to God's word. And today we're going to be in Amos chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to be preaching from the ESV. As Pastor Gabe mentioned, we have ESV Bibles in the back. If you need one, you can raise your hand. Uh, One of the ushers will go grab one. We don't put this text on the screen. We want you to look at the word. We want it to be open in front of you uh, or open on your phone. That's fine, but I love to hear those pages turn. Something about that. Uh, I encourage you all to have a physical copy. Mark that thing up. Draw lines. Highlight it. Make notes in your copy of God's word. It will stay with you for many days. But we're in 1 through 5 of chapter 4. If you're new to the Bible, don't be afraid. You can ask somebody near you. Check your table of contents. But I'm going to read 1 through 5 for us. I'm going to pray, then we'll look at God's Word. If you ever want to go back uh, to any of the other sermons on uh, our uh, text that we've covered, uh, we have a Spotify. You can find that um, on our webpage. Uh, You can also send an email, and we'll send you a link to that, too. But let me read 1 through 5 of Amos chapter 4. It says, Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who are on the mountains of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, Bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you. When they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. 
And you shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal and multiply transgressions. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. Let us pray. Father, we, we thank you for your kindness, for your mercy, for even the, the written word that we have. And for the way that your, your Spirit works as we examine your text. We ask for that help now. Father, I ask that each person in here would be renewed today. That they would leave here different than they walked in. That this would not be a lecture, but this would be a, a movement of your Spirit through the preaching of your Word. That lives would be changed, transformed. Lord, I pray that you would encourage the weary, bring strength to the heavy laden, that you would convict the sinner, the arrogant, the proud, that they would see their need for a Savior and see that met with Christ. So, Father, what we know not, would you teach us? What we are not, would you make us? What we have not, would you give us by your grace, for your glory? In Christ's name, God's people said. For so you love to do, O people of Israel. I want to start today with the end of our passage that lies in front of us today. For so you love to do. Here we see one of the human heart's simplest and most basic conditions that leads to sin let's be honest right we love to do what we love to do we want to do the things that please us we want what we want the desires of the flesh they they often supersede the desires of the spirit and when they do we find ourselves amidst a battle And at the core of the battle is the question, will I follow God's design for human flourishing or will I follow my own idea of personal flourishing? Will I do what God says? Will Will I follow his design for how humanity will flourish or will I follow my own personal idea? And I use the word personal flourishing intentionally here. And I think it's because we live in a very individualistic society. I think we can all agree to that. Our society unapologetically worships the false god of personal autonomy. And this word autonomy comes from two Greek words. uh, Auto, which means self, and then nomos, that means law. So simply put, personal autonomy refers to a person's ability and freedom to make whatever choices that they want to make with little to no regard 
for their choices, effects on others, or even whether their choices align with God's word. Personal autonomy. You don't really care how it affects others. Another way to put it is we want to self-govern ourselves. We want to make the choices that please us. We want to do what we please, when and how we please. Uh, This week there was an article released in USA Today. And it said this. There's the the title, the, uh, uh, the headline read this. It says, more than 500 current and former female athletes urged the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday to reject a Mississippi law that would prohibit abortions after 15 weeks of pregnancy. Uh, So essentially uh, what happened is that over 500 women athletes, they came together to try to advocate to protect the right for women to have abortions after 15 weeks. The reasoning is plainly clear. When we read further into the article, uh, some of the the quotes that were given by these women, I'll read one quote for us. She says, physically, we push ourselves to the absolute limit. So to have forces within this country trying to deny us control over our own bodies is infuriating and un-American and will be met with fierce resistance. They want control at the cost of another human's life. Personal autonomy. The rejection of God's design. So, I made a decision. Now I'm faced with result of that decision, and, and to, to have my personal autonomy, to have control over this body, I will destroy another life. And, and the words are clear here. It will be met with fierce resistance for those that go against this. I mean, it's very easy to see this in the world around us. We can see it when we look to headlines when we look at the world around us, but when we're honest and we do some, some sincere self-examination and we really look within our hearts, we confess and we ask the Lord to, to reveal our own idols, we can attest to the deep-rooted desires that we too must personally wage war on each and every day. We have this battle. We have this fight. I want to make a statement that I I want you to remember because I think it's very applicable to each of us in our daily battle against the lies that Satan, who would love to just convince us that we should do what we love. He says, do what you love. Do what you want. Don't listen to what God has commanded us as his people. And I, I want you to hear this. Loving God 
means loving God's design for humanity. You cannot say you love Creator God while rejecting His design for the world that He created. That's just simple. It's simple logic. I'm going to add to that too. When it comes to following God's design for human flourishing, we have not been given creative liberty to pick and choose the ideas we like while disregarding the ones we don't. There is one creator. And he didn't make any mistakes. I want to look back to the Garden of Eden. We have Adam and Eve, our first parents and representatives who are, I mean, they're basically living in paradise. They're they're living in paradise here. Uh, They're in communion with God. God has blessed them abundantly. The relationship between one another is uh, probably pretty flawless at this point. I mean, things are pretty good. They're enjoying the benefits of being in God's care. God has given them all the food they need. He said they will have dominion over the land, over the animals. I mean, they have been given everything that they need. God says, here it is. It's yours. And then Genesis 2, 15 through 17, you can turn there if you want, but I will read it for us. It says, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Lord God commanded the man saying, you shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he says, don't eat it. You shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So God lays out some parameters here. God says, look, I'm going to give you everything you need. And you need these parameters too. It's actually going to be for your benefit. It's going to be in order to help you to thrive. Like, like, stay away from the tree. What happens? Well, Genesis 3 happens. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say? Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So the first thing he does is what does he do? He challenges God's law. He challenges God's law and he attempts or he tempts Eve to do the same. Did God really say that? Like, like, come on. Is that really what God said? The woman said to the serpent, verse 2, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. So here we see that, that Eve proves her knowledge of what God has said. Like, like God didn't, you know, He didn't give her some, uh, 
some type of uh, mystical message to interpret. She understands the parameters that are in place. Like, I'm not supposed to go, I'm not, we can't take, we, we can't even look at it, we can't touch it. Eve knows what's going on here. She knows what God has commanded. The devil doesn't stop there, does he? Serpent doesn't stop when we say, yeah, well, we know what God said. And he keeps going, he keeps pressing. The serpent said, or so when the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. And then verse 5, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Essentially, what he is saying here is that God doesn't know what's best for you. You know what's best for you. God is withholding something from you. You need to be enlightened. You need to have your eyes open to the truth. Only then will you know what's best. Only then. Only when you disobey the design, the parameters, and you choose your own way, will you then know what's best for you and Verse 6, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, listen to these words, right? Good, delight, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate. And then she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. He saw it was a delight to the eyes. She desired this wisdom. She wanted to fulfill her desires and choose the one thing that God had forbidden in order to accomplish this. She said, I want to choose my way. And Adam, whom God had charged to lead his wife, he stood back went along with the disobedience, refusing to actively be a godly representative and protector of the woman that God had given him to lead. I mean, here we see man's first sin, the sin of passivity. Like, like why is Eve even near the tree? Like, what's going on, Adam? Now, while we're on this topic of passivity, let me ask the men in this room a question. If you are a husband, are you actively taking up the God-given role to lead your wife? Are you actively obeying God and protecting your wife, your children, if you have them, from the imminent threat of the enemy? Are you actively standing on the front lines between your wife and the fiery darts from the enemy? Hurled at them from all angles by the father of lies. This is the call of a husband. This is God's design. And look, for you all who are not husbands, 
and aspire to be one day. You can strive to be this type of man today. And simply by loving and protecting the ladies around you, first and foremost as sisters in Christ. Because if you're Christians, that's what they are. They're your sisters in Christ. You protect, you care for them in a godly way. And men, if, if you follow God's design, listen, it's going to cause you to live countercultural. It's going to be countercultural, right? You're going to have to turn off the TV. You're going to have to put down your phone. You're going to have to get off of social media. You're going to have to say no to excessively long hours away from the home that prohibit you from frequent conversations with your bride regarding the spiritual vitality of her heart and the strength of your marriage. It just is what it is. Like, if you haven't had a conversation with your wife around the spiritual condition of her heart recently, and if you've not prayed with your wife recently, then brothers, I would call you to repentance. Lovingly. To make changes. Today. This afternoon. Don't wait. It's not going to fix itself. But most importantly, in order to ensure these things, you must ensure that you yourself are feasting daily on the bread of life. Jesus Christ, through the reading of God's word and prayer. I mean, time and time again, I have conversations with men that are struggling in this area. There's a common thread. I haven't been reading my Bible. I haven't been praying. I haven't been spending the time I need with God. And listen, when you fail to do that, everything else around you will crumble. Because that's God's design. We don't always like it. And we often try and fight it. I mean, that has been humanity's disposition since the beginning. And in our text today, we see that. We, we see here that it isn't just the men of Israel who were at fault. The women have brought in and, and brought this idea of rejection of God's design here. They're, they're doing what they love to do. So I'm going to lay out three rejections of God's design that we see in our passage today. There's three rejections, three headings here. One, we'll see a rejecting God's design to be a blessing. We see rejecting God's design to be a blessing. Uh, two, we see rejecting God's design for marriage. Rejecting God's design for marriage. Three, we see rejecting God's Designed for worship. So to be a blessing, marriage, and worship. Three categories here. Let's look at verse 
1, chapter 4. Hear this word. Amos starts off. Now, this is an imperative here for his listeners to stop what they're doing and to pay attention. This isn't just like, hey, 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 listen, hear what I got. No, hear this word. It's a declaration. He says, what I'm about to say is important. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who were on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, remember that word, who crush the needy, remember the word crush, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Let's stop there. Now what we see here is a further specification to those to whom judgment is coming for. Remember, we've, we've been talking about this, and we've been walking through this text, and we've seen some specific people. We've already talked about, especially last week, that God is most concerned with the holiness of his people. It's the church who God calls first and foremost to holiness and righteous living. Because why? We've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Not that we just do it on our own. But we've been given this ability. We see here that Amos is pressing in a little bit further. He's actually talking to a group within the group. Kind of a subset of uh, culture in that time. This label, cows of Bashan, refers to the wealthy elite women of the time. The, the socialites, if you want to call them that. And this is a subset, as I said, of, uh, of Israel's culture that have now chosen their own ways to disobey and to rebel against Creator God. They've got their own kind of distinct ways that they have rebelled. That they are disobedient. That they are now rejecting the design that Creator God has implemented for humanity to thrive. In the Old Testament, Bashan provokes the idea of agricultural prosperity. That's why I said the cows of Bashan. Uh, it was known for lush green pastures. It was a very fertile region. And livestock from here were known for their fullness and size. Uh, the psalmist speaks of this idea in Psalm 22:12. Uh, listen to this. Uh, the psalmist says, Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan. So he identifies them. They are strong. They are big. They are mighty. The prophet Ezekiel also points to Bashan's agricultural prosperity in Ezekiel 39. He says, you shall eat the flesh of the mighty and drink the blood of the princes of the earth, of rams, of lambs, and of he goats, of bulls, and all of them fat beasts of Bashan. So get this idea of something that is healthy, that is large, that is, is just gravitating towards everything that they can have. The animals of Bashan, they ate well. They were big. They provided abundantly for feasts and for sacrifices. And here, these affluent 
women are being compared to the cows of Bashan that constantly graze on the abundance of the land. It's not even necessarily talking to size here. It's talking to their, uh, their idea that they just graze on the abundance. That they just eat. They just take. They're, they're takers, takers, takers. These women's lives of indulgence have made them slothful and demanding. They're living a life of, of just self-pleasing taking what they want with no regard to others. We see the first thing they are being condemned for doing is rejecting God's design to be a blessing. So first heading here, uh, if you remember, when God told Abraham in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, God tells Abraham, he says, in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. They're going to be blessed. He says, why? Because you have obeyed my voice. So God tells Abraham, nations will be blessed through your people, through my people. But this isn't happening in Amos' time. They're not being a blessing to others. They're not contributing to others. God's people have chosen to disobey God and oppress those around them. They've decided to take the path that they want to take on the road to prosperity. They've listened to the lies of Satan. The text says that these women are women who oppress the poor. They crush the needy. So they are guilty of mistreating the less fortunate, those in need, the disadvantaged of their day. Brothers and sisters, we must ask ourselves, are we blessing those around us or are we taking advantage of those around us? Like, are you a, a, a blessing to others? Are we exploiting the disadvantages of others for our benefit to obtain the things that our hearts desire? It's seek ye first the kingdom, and all these things shall be added to you. Not seek ye first Tyler. That's how we get what the Lord has for us putting the kingdom first, by being a blessing to those around us. And look, you know, we can exploit others in many different areas of our lives. It's not just uh, maybe blatant oppression. Maybe you're exploiting others at your job. You're taking advantage of, uh, of those around you in your workplace. Maybe you're taking advantage of others at school. Maybe you're taking advantage of others in your friend group, in your home, in your community, in your, your neighborhood. The point here is that God's people are called to be salt and light, which enhance their environment. That's what salt and light does. 
Salt enhances flavor. It preserves. Light is super helpful. You just turn off the lights here. See that we need it. Try to leave with the lights off, right? It's not going to be good for anyone. We're not supposed to be thieves that rob for self-gain. Are you a thief? Do you evaluate situations based on what you can get from them? Do you manipulate the relationships in your life to, to your advantage? Or do you have the focus of consistently blessing those around you as God has blessed you? See, as Christians, God has blessed us through Christ Jesus abundantly. Amen? We have been blessed. See, because of our sin, we deserve death. Death. We're going to read a little bit here later about fish hooks and different things. Like, we deserve worse than that. We deserve death. Nothing more, nothing less. But because of God's great mercy and love for us, he put forth his Son, Jesus Christ, to absorb the penalty that we deserve, to take the wrath, the punishment that was reserved for you and me, not because God was unjust, but because we earned it. We are all sinners, each and every one of us. But Jesus Christ, he comes to die the death we deserve so we get to live the life that we don't deserve now and for eternity. So how much more is people of God should we not demonstrate blessings to others? As people that know our depravity, our sin, and I'm painfully aware of mine, I know what I deserve. I know that there is no reason in the world I wouldn't have chosen me. But as Pastor Gabe read earlier, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, he sends a Savior who dies in our stead. You haven't earned it. It's nothing you can do to earn it. It's all because of him. And the greatest gift you can give someone is life, right? And God has now given us abundant life. And it's his design that we now as his people bless those around us. Care for those around us. Love those around us. Intentionally. And if we have rejected this design, we must be a people that resolve to return to God's design. Brothers and sisters, I hope that will be your resolve today. 
Secondly, we see these women are rejecting God's design for marriage. Now, Amos describes these women here as really uh, demanding drunkards. Once again, I will reiterate that often we see in Scripture uh, alcohol being contributed to the sins of man. Let that be a warning to you. He says, you are one who say to your husbands, you say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. Now God's design for marriage is that husbands and wives serve one another. It's not that, uh, well, this should be the other way around, that the man should be the one demanding. That's not what the point here is. You say that we serve one another, not out of demand, but out of desire for one another. Out of love for one another. Scripture teaches that there is a design in marriage. And that design is that a husband is a godly leader that would lead the wife, the family, as an example of Christ in his own home. Let me bring you to some scripture to help back that up here. Ephesians, Paul tells the church in Ephesus this, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body, and is himself its Savior. And then, now as the church submits to Christ, as also wives should submit in everything to their husbands so we we see here that there is a design that god has created that is the best thing for humanity and and when we live within this design we flourish but see the husband bears a tremendous responsibility here if you're not a husband that leads well you're not worthy of being followed It says this isn't some willy-nilly responsibility. This isn't just something that, you know, okay, hey, just just submit and and do what is said. Isn't some submission to some passive chump that sits back scrolling social media and watching TV all the time. It's active. Here's what he tells them. He says, husband, love your wives. All right, there's one. As what? Christ loved the church. And how did he love the church? He gave himself up for her. Yeah. Gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. That's a massive responsibility, brothers. And we need each other to fulfill that. Most importantly, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to fulfill that role. May us be a a godly group of men who strive to represent Christ well in our homes. 
Wives carry a responsibility as well to be submissive to their husbands while husbands carry a responsibility to demonstrate demonstrate the self-sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Uh, One commentator makes a very helpful observation here. He says, it is worth noting how these affluent and domineering women present a picture of Israel as a whole as a guilty of oppressing the poor and needy. And then he says, and defiant of the authority picture of marriage. And what this represents is Israel to the Lord. Do you see that picture here? So he's putting them here and he's saying, as Israel has been defiant, now these wives are being defiant as well. They're demanding. They're trying to exercise, overextend authority. They're bossy. And it's all for what? Self-indulgence. Self-fulfillment. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me. Because God says, you've done these things. And now, because you have done these things, there will be judgment. There will be punishment. And here's how he says it. The Lord God has sworn by His holiness that, behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. You shall go out through the breaches, each one straight ahead, and you shall be cast out into Harmon, declares the Lord. Let's stop there. So here God makes an oath because of their rebellious behavior. He says, because of what you have done, here's what is going to happen. He's swearing by His holiness, which is just really further communicating that this is serious. This will happen. For example, in Psalm 89.35, the Lord swears by His holiness never to violate His covenant with David. So here we see that this oath formula emphasizes God's relentless commitment to bringing about His judgment. He says, I will do this. Thus saith the Lord, right? The phrase, the days are coming is an eschatological, that means like the end times in theological shorthand. And it's a phrase that is pointing forward to the day of the Lord when God will come in judgment. And let let me just pause real quick and let me remind anyone who is not a believer, there will be judgment. There will be a final day of judgment. And man, take today as an as a, uh, example of God's grace to you that you are here, that you have the opportunity to confess your sins, profess Christ as Lord, as the substitute 
And would you be compelled today to turn, pursue the one and true living God. But also the day of the Lord can refer to immediate temporal judgment or a future. Uh, Sometimes the final judgment or both, right? And in this context, we see an imminent judgment is clearly in view. We see that there's something that's about to happen to these people. Amos writes that the cows of Bashan will be taken away with hooks and fish hooks. I want you to picture that in your mind for just a second. See, in Near Eastern history, uh, fishery and fishing imagery portrays one nation's conquering of another. What they would often do is they would take away their captives on string that was connected by hooks. So they have hooks hanging from the string, or a rope, you may say. They would drag their captives out of the land that they conquered. Big fish hooks. Sometimes on rings of noses, sometimes in chins. We see a gruesome picture here. A graphic description of judgment. God is essentially saying, I'm I'm serious about my name. I'm serious about my, my people representing me well. And you're not doing it. Ironically, the oppression these cruel women have shown toward the poor and needy will thus come back upon them in form of oppression from their enemies. From these neighboring nations that will now come in and distribute God's judgment on these people. God says they will be led through breaches made in the walls by the enemy. This is a, just a, a further description of the devastation that will be made. There will be so many breaches, it's like there's not even a wall. Destruction all around. They'll be able to just walk right through. Uh, This term harmon, uh, if you're confused about that, it only occurs here in the Old Testament. Really, uh, don't know what it uh, implies. Uh, Isn't it a specific place? It could imply that uh, they will be destroyed. But brothers and sisters, this is how serious God is about His design. This is how serious God is about the people that He has saved, that they will bear witness to the glorious grace and mercy and kindness of the God who saved them. See, the the heart of salvation is that God gets worship. You are saved to worship Creator God. That's why missions exist. So we, we go, we tell others about the great God who has sinned away for salvation. And uh, if they will repent and profess Christ as Lord, 
that now they will be saved. And so they see that they had no way of obtaining salvation on their own. And now they give praise and worship and glory to this glorious God who has saved them, the creator of all things. No beginning, no end, Alpha and Omega. Creator God. He deserves worship. You were saved for worship. We exist for worship. God deserves glorious worship. So when God's people aren't living in a way that demonstrates worship, that demonstrates blessing, that demonstrates His glory, it, it will lead to a failure of true worship of God. Here we see Israel failing to worship the way God has designed for them to worship. So third heading here, uh, rejection of God's design for worship. Four through five, come to Bethel and transgress to Gilgal. Multiply transgression. Bring your sacrifices every morning. Your tithes every three days. Offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving of that which is leavened and proclaim free will offerings. Publish them, for so you love to do, O people of Israel, declares the Lord. Uh, here, Amos kind of leaves us with a little bit of sarcasm. He essentially says that the, uh, here the, the whole people of Israel are in view again. And he gives us Hey, just keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, keep it up. Yeah, do those things that you love to do. See what it gets you. So God here has commanded His people to worship Him, as I just mentioned. And He's told them to worship Him in this context in Jerusalem. We're going to look at that more uh, in chapter 5. We'll see exactly how God has called His people to worship. But as we see that God commands worship, we must see that God has commanded worship on His terms. His way. See, contrary to very uh, popular views today, God cares how He's worshipped. And that's from Sunday, the corporate gathering, to Sunday. Uh, every day in between. God cares how He's worshipped. I could say a lot about that, but I'm going to back off. But listen, here's what it should tell us, that we should not take that lightly. When we gather to worship, songs we sing, the prayers we sing, the time and how we spend looking at God's Word now, today, we should take that seriously. This observation should cause us to pause and think of how we worship God corporately and how we worship God individually. Maybe your weeks are void of worship. It's pretty obvious 
from the context of this prophecy here that there's a connection between their worship and their lives. Of how they are living. Of how they're demonstrating the love of God. The sarcasm of the Lord's command make it very clear that it doesn't matter how much they increase this false worship. It doesn't matter how often they do this false worship. It's not pleasing to God. Their hearts are not there. It is empty. It is vain. It is shallow. What they loved was not what God loved. Their design was not God's design. And we too must stop and ask ourselves, have we given in to our own ideas of what is right for us? Have we been redirected by the serpent's crafty question, did God really say? Did God really say that? Uh, are, you, are you sure that's what the text says? You know, uh, modern interpretations really say this. You know, I know that doesn't make you feel good, so, you know, uh, maybe you, you shouldn't do that. You, you should choose your own path that will bring you joy right now. See, we want that microwave stuff. We want our stuff fast. We want instant gratification. We want to be pleased instantly. See, listen. Creator God is the designer. As I said, He, he, he doesn't need your help. The only people that were there were the triune God. Father, Son, Spirit. And his design, because he's the designer, brings us the greatest joy, the greatest freedom. Autonomy that we can never imagine. Freedom and joy that we can't even fathom. And listen, we all know, right? Satan wants to destroy, wants to distort the view of God's design. He wants to distort it. He wants to lie to you and, and tempt you and say, don't follow God's way. Follow your way. For two decades, I ran from God's design. I ran hard from God's design. I thought I could fulfill my desires with every, any and everything under the sun. If I just had more money, just had more drugs, just had more 
alcohol, just had more influence, respect, had more power. I'd be great. I'd be fine. But it's like chasing bubbles. They pop. And only by God's grace by a salvation that I could not obtain on my own if I ever been joyful. The joys of the world are fleeting. The promises of the world are empty. We all know from Genesis 3 that the promises of the enemy that, hey, did God really say this? The the lie that will be thrown at you day in and day out. That God doesn't know what's best for you brings destruction. Brings devastation. And it left me empty and disappointed. And come on, we all know that that's usually what sin does. Leaves us empty. Maybe it fills you for a moment. But it quickly fleets. Fades away. Listen. As I close, I just want to leave you with this. True Joy is not found in getting what we want. True joy is getting what we need. Only then, getting back to the design that God has called us to live. I know there's singles in here. I know there's single parents in here and You know, my, my, I grew up in a single-parent household myself, and you know, I, I know the effects of that. So not to downcast you, and to make you feel like, well, I'm not fitting in God's design here. No, God has a plan, and he has a purpose. And God will use you in mighty ways. So let me encourage you. The final thought here, a quote from Augustine. For anyone who is burdened, who is feeling maybe even a a bit of weariness from the struggles of their daily lives, maybe they've been confronted today with the realization that they have rejected God's design themselves. And Augustine says this, I quote, Let us trust the past to God's mercy, the present to God's love, and the future to God's providence. Let us be a people that rest in that, that sit there in the grace that God has provided, and the mercy that is new every morning, the blood of Jesus that is strong enough to cleanse us and make us new 
each and every day. Let us pray. Father God, our prayer, our hope is that we would be a people who do not buy into the lie of the enemy that would say that we have a better way. Lord, let us be guided by Your Word. Let us be a people who are strengthened daily by the feasting on Your Word. Help us not to neglect our responsibility as those that would give blessings to others, that would be a blessing to those around us. Help us not to be takers. Help us to be givers in all areas of our life. Lord, I pray for the married couples in this space. Lord, I pray the husbands would be bold, would be strengthened and bold into you know, the forefront in their homes, standing between the fiery darts of the enemy. Pray for those that aspire to be husbands one day. Pray that you would help them, these young men, to love those young ladies around them today as sisters in Christ. To look at them through that lens first and foremost. Pray that the wives in this space, Lord, would be renewed even for a, a love for your word and for your design. And if there's any that are living in a way that is contrary to that, I pray, God, that you would help them to see this design as beneficial. Pray for those that may be single, navigating single parenting, parenting alone. God, I pray that you would encourage, that you would strengthen them, and that we would be a church that surrounds them with care in strong ways that helps to bear the burden of parenting. Lord, we know how hard it is to do with two. It's that much harder to do with just one. So help us to be a church that speaks in, helps, provides. Lord, if there's anyone in here today that does not know you, through profession of Christ, through the salvation that's offered through Jesus, I pray that today would be the day that they would turn to you. That you would soften hearts, you would open ears, you would peel the scales from their eyes. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.